It's an evening of old-time radio. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. It is later than you think. This is Arch Obler bringing you another in our series of stories of the unusual. And once again, we caution you, these lights-out stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. But if you're fascinated by the mysterious, the fantastic, the unearthly, then anticipate chills in our story of Poltergeist. Hey, <laughs> that was swell. Now let's go to town. St. Louis woman with her diamond ring kicking that man oh, around. No. no, stop that, Kay. What's the matter? Am I scaring the horse? Oh, it seems like a sacrilege singing a song like that out here. This beautiful, clean snow and blue sky. Well, what's wrong with a hot song to keep us warm? If you think the St. Louis blues is going to dirty up the snow, you ought to hear Frankie and Johnny the way I sing it. Oh, stop it, Kay. You're not funny at all. Why can't you enjoy the fresh air without that cabaret sort of thing? Oh, just an old-fashioned gal, eh, Florence? How about you, Edna? Don't you like my songs either? You haven't said anything for the last five minutes. Well, I, I haven't been listening to you to tell the truth. I love to watch the snow sort of. Flow along under the sleigh. When you say that, gal, smile. Gosh, did you ever see more snow in your life? The man at the hotel said it had been snowing on and off up here for two weeks. I think coming out here to the country is the best thing we three have done since we started rooming together. Hiking in the snow is terribly healthy. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. The healthier I get, the worse I feel. <laughs> Crazy idiot. She does say the funniest things, doesn't she? I always say that Kay ought to... Whoa! Hallelujah, we're here. Is this as far as we go, driver? That's right, miss. Can't go no further down this road account of the drift. Oh, my goodness. The drifts are too deep for a horse. How can we walk through them? I second the motion. Well, you young ladies don't have to worry none so long as you keep going down the valley over there. Snow ain't piled up that way all the way to Ma Jenkins. Oh, well, that's marvelous. Come on, girls. Let's get started. So long. Take care of yourselves, girls. Come on, Ed. Goodbye, so Miss Well, listen to the snow talking at us. It's very dry snow. Our feet rub particles of it together, and the friction makes a sound. It's kind of scary, yeah. isn't it? Why? Well, I don't know. It's just mm. as if the snow was sort of trying to talk to mm. us. I mean, as if it was angry at our trespassing. Hey, don't tell me we're trespassing. I don't want any country squire taking any pot shots at my... 
constitutional amendment with rock salt? No, thank you. Oh, don't talk nonsense, Kay. We're not trespassing. Why, this pass through the valley here over to Mrs. Jenkins' house is the favorite hike of everyone who comes up this way during the winter. What's Mrs. Jenkins got anyway that makes people walk their feet off? <laughs> Wait till you taste her cooking. Eat. Oh, boy, let's go. It's awfully quiet out here, isn't it? Oh, that's the glory of it. I've had the roar of the subway in my ears so long. Okay, don't walk so fast. Come on, look what I found. Oh, come on, Edna. Oh, please. Let me take your arm. I'm getting out of breath. But take it easy. There's no hurry. <sighs> well, what is it, Kay? Look, through the circle of trees here. Look what I discovered. Well, isn't that interesting? It's a sort of a natural amphitheater. Sure. Say, who was this guy, Daniel Boone? What's an amphitheater? Well, that, that means an oval circling place with rising tiers of seats. It's, you know, like that place we went to for the horse show. Back in the times of the Greeks, they had outdoor theaters. Listen to the professor. And they used to places just like this, where the ground sloped up and made a sort of a natural arena or stage below. Theater. That's an idea. Sit down, gals, and I'll give you a special performance of the K Follies. It's awful snowy here, isn't it? I'll trample it down with my spring dance. Welcome, sweet spring. <laughs> she is not dancing in the snow. If I had that girl's energy. She's really grateful, isn't she? I'll bet if she went on the stage, she'd... Kay! Kay! Kay, did you hurt yourself? Oh, did I land on my dignity. Here, give me a hand. Here, I'll help you. There you are. Oh, did I take a flop. Did you hurt yourself badly? Oh, Liv. What in the world did I trip over? Oh, no wonder. Look at that rock under the snow. No wonder I did a nosedive. Oh, my goodness. There are rocks like that all over. Oh. A person could break their neck if they... Girls! What's the matter? What is it? Kay, the rock you tripped over. It... It's not a rock. What are you talking about? Of course it's a rock. Well, yes, but it's something... Something more than that. It's a tombstone. <laughs> tombstone? Oh, no, it, it can't be. Look for yourself. It says, Here lies buried the remains of one who, restless in life... Stop! Don't read anymore. Stop. And and all these other stones laying flat on the ground. They're tombstones, too? Yes. Whew, what a place to pick to dance. Oh, What's oh, the matter, Edna? What did you scream for? Hey, you, you danced on the grave. What? You danced on the grave. I saw you. I saw you do it. You danced on the grave. Okay. Edna, stop it. Stop it. What's come into her? Edna, stop acting Edna, stop for heaven's sake. Control yourself. Okay. Okay, I'm so sorry for you. You danced on a grave. For heaven's sake, stop talking like that. Sure, I danced on a grave. Well, yes, of course she did. It was perfectly accidental. And what if it was? What of it? The what? Edna Hanson, what are you talking about? What's that word you just used? Poltergeist. Okay, what have you done? You superstitious little fool. If you don't stop talking that way, I'm going to slap your face. What's the matter with you? I didn't do anything. You walked on the grave. You danced on the grave. Edna, be sensible. We all walked on graves, but it was purely accidental. Yeah. We had no intention of desecrating them. It doesn't matter, I tell you. It doesn't matter. The poltergeist will come. I know he will. Oh, what the you? She's crazy. Edna, what are you talking about? What's the poltergeist? What are you so frightened about? My father, he told me, if you walk on a grave, if you dance on a grave, the poltergeist. Poltergeist what? What is a poltergeist? An evil spirit. It comes out of the grave. It kills. It destroys. 
carry her down to the station so we can get her on board. Board? I'm telling you that little friend of yours shouldn't be moved out of bed for a week. If you do, well, it might be just too bad. Oh, Flo, what'll we do? You go home, Kate. I'll stay with her. Oh, no, you won't. I'm not leaving you here alone in this godforsaken place. If you stay, I stay too. Kate, please be sensible. Why should we all lose our jobs when you... If you'll excuse me, you ladies, I got to be on my way. Oh, yes, of course, Doctor. Is there anything more you can do for Edna, Doctor? Any medicine or something? Nope, I've done all I can do. She's sleeping comfortable now. Uh, Miss? Yes, Doctor? The constable's sick, too, you know, and he's sort of depending on me to keep things straight. Now, uh, just how did you say that little friend of yours got hurt? Well, it was just the way we explained, Doctor, that rock came flying and... Yes, yes, I know, but... Who threw the rock? We... We don't know. What? That's true, Doctor. We don't know. But somebody threw it. You can't change facts. Somebody threw the rock that cracked her head. For heaven's sakes, old man, you don't think we did it. No, I miss, I didn't. Excited. Doctor, you've got to believe us. It happened just the way we said. All at once, that rock came flying through the air from the direction of the graveyard. It struck Edna, and, and we just didn't see who threw it. All right, if that's your story. Oh, you better stay in your rooms here. I mean, you better not be leaving until the constable's on his feet and has a chance to talk with you. I'll be back in a few hours and see how the girl is. He doesn't believe us. What difference does it make? We know what we saw. But what did we see? She was running. She she fell. Kay. Well... Let's not fool ourselves. There was no one there to throw that rock. There must have been. But there wasn't. Stop saying that! Aren't you brave enough to face facts? There wasn't any place for anyone to hide. I saw that stone. It seemed to come down out of the air. So slowly. Florence, if you don't stop talking like that... I remember what... What Edna said? It throws things. Stop looking at me like that. You're giving me the jitters. She said the poltergeist throws things. Spirit of evil. Florence, Rob, have you gone crazy, too? Why should we laugh at things like that? What right have we got to laugh? How do we know there aren't powers we can't see or understand? Powers of evil that revenge and insult, just like an evil man. Kay, how do we know? What are you talking like that for? 
What are you trying to scare me for? You, you're supposed to be the most intelligent one of us all. You with your college degrees. Sure, sure, I danced on the grave. But the dead are dead and they can't revenge a thing. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. I tell you, no! what? Miss Edna. Come on. Edna, we're coming to you. Don't be afraid. We're coming. Open the door, Florence. It's not locked. Duck, it won't Here, let me. Edna, what is it? What? Edna, what? On your head. Oh. 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 Hey, what's going on here? I run a decent place and I don't want you... Tombstone. I... I wish I could cry. But I haven't got any more tears. if you keep on like that. All of this horrible night would only end. It was my fault. Mine. I was the one who got her out here. She didn't want to go. She hates the country. But I made her come. I made her. No. No, you're not the one to blame. I am. I danced on the grave. But she was right for it to be her, was it? I did it, not her. I did it. I danced on the grave. I danced Can't deny what you see with your own eyes. But I tell you, Doc, nobody could have carried that tombstone up the steps without me seeing him, could they? But there it is, ain't it? Yeah. There it is. Either somebody's playing a terrible joke or... You don't have to say it, Doc. I know. It's just the trouble. You don't know, and I don't know. And nobody knows. Yeah. And... And that tombstone. Well, what about the tombstone? I... I ain't quite sure, but... That's a tombstone out of the old burying grounds up at the bend. You're crazy. No, I ain't either. Well, that place is a good three miles from here. Yeah. I know. Who could have carted a heavy stone like that for three miles? Yeah. Who? Stop looking like that, you flap-eared old fool. Human hands carried that stone in here and killed that girl? Sure. Yeah, the constable will find out who did it the minute he's on his feet again. You wait and see. No, he won't, Doc. You're smarter than me and all that, but oh, this time you're wrong. There ain't nobody that takes in breath and leaves out breath like you and me. 
Now, the constable's going to find out who killed that girl. You know that, Doc. Oh, stop talking. I wish the constable was here and this night was over. It's been a terrible night. Yeah, I know. I've been sitting here listening to it. I can't stand it anymore. I'll stop it. Why bother with it? Come on to bed, Kay. Please. There's no use sitting there. It won't help her. Yeah. Nothing can help her. But maybe I can help you. Me? It was my fault. Mine. I was the reason it happened. It killed her and it'll kill you and me too unless I stop. No, don't say that. It's true. But why should you be hurt? I'm the blame, not you. Listen, Flo. I'll go out there. There? Out there to the graveyard. What? I'll talk to her. I'll, I'll tell her I didn't mean to do it. No. I didn't know where I was dancing. Please. Maybe... Somehow it'll hear, listen to me, and then it won't hurt oh, you. Oh, no, no, I won't let you go out there. It'll kill but you. Florence. It'll kill you, too. Oh, no, no, I'll hold you. You can't go. You can't. All right. Come on to bed, Kay, please. In the morning, in the morning, things will be different. But it won't. Nothing will hurt us. And then they're right outside the door. They won't let anything get at us. Oh, please, Kay, please, come to bed. Yeah. Well... We'll pray. Pray? I... I don't exactly know how. Just say anything. Anything. Like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now you. If I should die before I wake, I... Pray the Lord, my soul, to take. Kay? Kay, are you asleep? I can't sleep anymore. Kay, tomorrow, I mean when it gets light and everything, do you think people will believe us? Do you think so, Kay? I'm not quite sure what happened. I always used to be so sure about things. And now I... Kay? Kay, where are you? Kay, where... The window. She went out the window. She's gone out there. To the graveyard. To talk to it. Okay, why did you go? Why did you go? I'll go out there, too. Oh, she'll be so frightened out there alone. I'll go, too. I'll go, too. Oh, so cold. Hands. No, so sharp. Cutting my legs. Oh, why did you go out there, Kay? Why did you? I've got to find you. The wind. Oh, why doesn't the wind stop? 
blow, blow, thou winter wind. Thou art not so unkind as... <laughs> oh, I've got to find you, kid. I've got to find you. It's snowing. I love snow. Edna didn't like snow. Where are you, kid? Where are you? I lost my way. I lost the road. Where are you, Kay? Kay, where are... Oh, Kay. I heard you, Kay. I heard you. I'm coming to you, Kay. We'll talk to it. We'll talk to it together. We'll tell it we didn't mean any harm, won't we, Kay? Won't we? Poor Edna. We can't help her, Kay. We can't help Edna. But I'm coming to help you, Kay. I'm coming. I'm coming. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. I'm coming, darling. I'm coming to help. I'm coming to help you. I'm coming. I'm coming. I hear you. I hear you calling my name. I hear you. Yes. They must have come this way. Uh, climbing out the window like that in the middle of the night. They must have gone crazy, the both of them. Well, let's not worry about that now. We've got to find them. Here, give me that lantern. What is it, Doc? What have you found? A shoe. One of the girl's shoes. My gosh, stuck in the snow. We're going the right way. Come on, move fast. We've got to get to them. Doc, look at this. What is it? Over there. Ain't these footprints? Yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. Footprints. Hello, up ahead. Hello. Doc, we're... We're getting pretty close to the old burying grounds. Well? Maybe... Oh, look here, Doc. Let's not be fools. Let's wait till morning. What? Let those frightened girls freeze to death? Get along. But, Doc, I... You come uh, with me or the whole town will know what a yellow-livered no-good you are. All right. All right. You don't have to get so sore, Doc. Hello? Hello? Anybody up there? Hello? Doc. Doc, look. What? There they are. Up ahead. Glory be, they're alive. The both of them. Come on. Doc. Doc. Look at them. That's the burying ground up there. And they're dancing. Dancing on the graves. But they must be out of their heads. Come on. We've got to stop. Doc. Doc, wait for me. Oh, Doc, it's... It's dark again. Where are they, Doc? Where are the girls? 
Have they... Have they stopped dancing? Yes. Huh? They've stopped dancing. Did... Did they ever dance? What are you talking about, Doc? We saw them. We saw them dancing in this place with our own eyes. Did we? The moonlight. Here it comes again. See with your eyes again. <gasps> oh, no. Both of the girls froze stiff to the ground. Each with her head crushed by a tombstone. office but myself. I am here. Am I losing my mind? Now, there's no one. Listen to me, Alan. I hear you, but where are you? I am here, but you can't see me. Who are you? Listen to me, Alan. Yes? How much money are you making? Not much. How much? $25 a week. You're worth more. I know I am. Then why haven't you done something about it? Well, there are hundreds of men who could do my work. I can't afford to lose my job. You won't lose your job. But you will get a better one. What do you mean? Go talk to your employer today, Helen. Today, you hear? Yes. There's a position open. Assistant manager? Exactly. That's too big a position for me. You're capable of handling it. Go in. Ask for it. Ask for job of assistant manager? Yes. You'll never get it unless you ask for it. Look here. Who are you? Where are you? You cannot see me, Alan. Because I am not of your world. Are you some devil? Some evil spirit? I assure you, I am not. Then why don't you show yourself to me? I am not permitted to do that. Be thankful that I am able to advise you 
Why do you advise me? Because there is much I can do for you. I don't understand. Your voice. Out of nowhere. That must not worry you, Alan. Do as I say. Go now. Ask for assistant managership. Go, Alan. Ask for it now. Wait. Don't wait, Alan. Wait, I want to talk to you some more. Don't wait until it's too late. I warn you. Come back. Come back. Look here. What's all the commotion about? Sit down, Mrs. Evans. What? I said sit down, ma'am. Here, I have something to talk to you about. I want to know what the shouting out here was about. Well, never mind that, Mrs. Evans. I have something much more important to discuss with you. And just what's that, Mr. Blaine? It's about the assistant managership. Well? Well, you see, I, I, I was just thinking... Go on. No, I was just thinking that perhaps... Go I... ahead. Go ahead, Alan. Tell her you want the job. Did you hear something, Mrs. Evans? I'm waiting to hear you who you have in mind for the job that's open. I'll take that job, Mrs. Evans. What did you say? I said I'll take that job. Why, I, I hadn't thought of that. You might handle the job all right. Yes, yes, you might. Come on in the office, Blaine. Let's talk this thing over. Assistant manager's office. Oh, Judith, darling. How are you? Are hey, you coming down to see my new office? Oh, I... I thought you said you'd try to make it today. Well, I've had my new job for two weeks now, and I... All right, dear. Yes, goodbye. I can't understand Judith lately. Seems like she's avoiding me. Don't trust her, Alan. You again. Don't trust her, Alan. Don't trust her. What? Don't trust her. Don't trust her, Alan. I warn you, she's not to be trusted. Oh, it's you, Alan. Hello, darling. May I come in? Yes, I suppose so. My, you're beautiful tonight. Am I? Oh, that dress looks wonderful on you. I'm glad you're all dressed up. Honey, we're going to celebrate. Alan. I've just been promoted, darling. Now I'm making enough for us to live on. Come on, let's paint the town. Then when we find just the right spot, I'm going to ask you to marry me again. Aren't you going to say something, Judith? I have an engagement tonight, Alan. Oh, but you can call it off. No, I'm afraid I can't. Think what's happened to us. Now I'm making the money you always wanted me to make. You'll have to go now, Alan. What? I've just a few minutes to finish with my makeup. You'll have to go now. But, Judith... Please, Alan. Now, wait a minute. Alan, really? I've asked you to go. 
I haven't much time. Oh. So you haven't much time. Well, let me tell you something, Judith West. No, Alan. Yes, Alan? Let you tell me what? Don't say it, Alan. Don't. Well, Alan? Don't say it, Alan. I warn you. There'll be a quarrel. You'll kill her this time if you quarrel. I'm waiting, Alan. Never mind. Just forget it. Good evening, my dear. Alan, perhaps I should have told you last night. I didn't, so I'm writing to you now. You have made quite a fool of yourself over me for some time now. I've only permitted you to believe I loved you, because I've always felt sorry for you. Now you're successful, and so I write you the truth. I'm being married tomorrow to a man from South America. I've never loved you. I know that I never can. And so I'm writing to you. Miss Adams, you please call me at 11.30. I have a 12 o'clock luncheon day. Hmm. Letter from Judith. And probably an apology for last night. I wonder what she said. Hmm. Alan. Perhaps I should have told you. Writing to you now. Quite a fool of yourself. Always felt sorry for you. Being married tomorrow. I have never loved you. Never loved me. Oh, she can't mean that. Yet she wrote it. Yes, she wrote it. Oh, so she's been playing ball with me all these years. Felt sorry for me, did she? Sorry. Well, I'll make her sorry. I'll show her. I'll kill her. No, Alan. Yes, I'll kill her. Don't go to her, Alan. I'll show her. I'll show her she can't toss me off like an old glove. Put that gun back, Alan. No. Put it back in the drawer, I say. No, no. I warn you, you'll be sorry if you don't put the gun away and calm yourself. I won't, and you can't stop me. No, I can't stop you. <laughs> Nothing can stop me. Nobody. Not now. Uh, so she feels sorry for me. Well, I wonder if she'll feel sorry for herself with a bullet in her cheating heart. All right, darling. I'll meet you at eight. Yes, I've written a note to Alan. I've broken things off completely. All right, dearest. Who's there? Who is it? Alan. What do you want? Alan. Oh, no, Alan! Alan! <laughs> 
to me. Go sober yourself up, Alan. Go away. You've lost your job. Spent all your money. This is no way out. Leave me alone. I want to help you. Help me. (laughs) Why didn't you leave me alone to begin with? I warned you not to go to her apartment. You're a murderer now, Alan. You're wanted by the police. Oh, go away. Go away. You should have listened to me. I was trying to guide you. Leave me alone. Oh, leave me alone. I know what you're thinking. You're tired. The spirits aren't enough for you now. You want something else. Yeah. Don't do it, Alan. Stay away from it. No. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not listening. Do you hear me? Go away. I'm not listening to a thing you say. Please don't call in. A friend of mine sent me. Jake Mullins. Oh, Honorable Mr. Mullins. Oh, Young C. Fool, glad to help any plan, Honorable Mr. Mullins. He, he said I could forget my troubles here. Trouble? You have trouble, please? Plenty. You want maybe sleep, sleep? Uh, anything. Anything to stop this awful burning in my mind. You smoke, maybe? Me fix spell. You sleep. Yes, sleep. You lie here, please. Stretch out. Make comfortable. Yes. Here. You smoke this. Take pipe. You sleep. Yes. So, you feel better by and by. No, 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 no. Please do lie down. You smoke. Pretty soon. Sleep, sleep. Don't, Alan. I beg you. Don't smoke that. Go away. Please, not too sharp. Tell him to go away. There is no one. Don't do it, Alan. You hear him? I hear no one. Now, please, to be quiet. Just smoke. Plenty soon. Sleep, sleep. It's too late now, Alan. I tried to warn you. But it's too late now. Where where am I? So strange. Quiet. Peaceful. What's this? Book. Old. Rotting. Why, a diary. Aaron Blaine. Aaron Blaine. That was my great-grandfather's name. This was his diary. Where am I? Seems like like a cave. Yes, it is a cave. 
floor. So neat and so clean. Yesterday, yes, even today, I, I was almost ragged. I remember, too, I was tired. Worn. Now, now I feel refreshed. How did I get here in this cave? That light from the fire. I can read the book by the fire. Yes. We are now in the midst of a dreadful civil war. I fear everything I own is lost. I have only managed to save my gold. Gold. I figure its value at more than $80,000. I have buried it today beneath the horse stall at the east end of the barn. It will never be found there. Buried beneath a horse stall in the barn. But what barn? It's daylight. Perhaps if I get out of this cave. Yes. There's the opening. Yes, it is daylight. And there's the farm over there. It's an old farm. Maybe if I go over there, I'll find what I want. say this farm did belong to old Aaron Blaine. That's right, boss man. About the time of the Civil War was, I reckon, my pappy done work for him. Uh, who owns the place now? I reckon Uncle Sam do now, boss man. I pays the taxes when I can, and they lets me live here. Got myself a horse out there in the barn, yeah? <laughs> Good old racing horse he is, and that barn about to fall down. Yeah, I see it there. Yeah, well, over this way, boss All man. Right. Are you sure this barn's been standing since the Civil War? Sure has, boss man. I used to prop it up here and there once in a while. Wanna go to pieces any day now. Ah, there's old Thunderbolt. <laughs> oh, that old Thunderbolt. You was asking about a spade here, mister? Ah, there's one right over here. Yeah, I'll set the lantern down right there. Keep that animal back. I'm going to start digging. Digging, boss man? Yes. And if I find what I'm looking for, you and I are going to be rich. There it is. Lord have mercy, boss man. Something buried there? Yeah, a metal box. Come on, help me get it out of there. Okay, boss man. Uh, can you get a hold of that corner? Yeah, I think so. The pool's hard enough. Right. Good work. Yeah, got a lock on it. You'll fix that. Golly, it's heavy. Ah, there we are. Lord of mercy, boss man. Look at that gold. Yeah, gold. $80,000 worth of gold. What's that? Must be the Pearson boys. Who? The Pearson boys, boss man. Well, who are they? They've been trying to get to this farm or they ain't got enough money to pay the back taxes. Folks around here always said they know there was gold. Man, here someplace. 
They must have seen you nowadays trying to scare y'all. Yeah, it's a good thing it's night. It was going to come down here this afternoon that I decided to stay in the cave till dark. Cave, you say, boss man? Yeah, over toward the hills. We better get ourselves over there, boss. We's going to keep us here gold. Them Pearson boys been looking for it for ten years. <laughs> they catch us with it, they want to take it away from us. I reckon I can't stay here much longer. We've got to stay here. I was hungry. And so am I. We can't leave this cave until those murdering thieves out there go away. Boss, we done been here two nights in a day. They've gone now, Alan. You again? Who, boss, me? It's safe now, Alan. Boss, man, what you looking so funny about? You look like you done hit a spook or something talking. You can go out now, Alan. They've gone away. Come along, Sam. Are we going to leave you, boss man? Yeah. Help me carry this box. How come you to change your mind? I didn't. It was changed for me. Come along. Come on. So we'll be good to wrap this old boy around a good, thick old steak or maybe a fat old chicken. Right, easy now. Careful. Let's scout around behind this tall grass. All right, boss man. Now, you all watch your step out here. There's, there's lots of snakes over here. Snakes? Yes, sir. Big ones, too, boss man, and pies. And... Now, come on. Over this way. Wait a minute. Huh? Look. Over there. Lordy, boss man, that's an old grave. Yeah, come on. Good Lord. Look. Boss man, looky over there. A bony, fleshless hand. Reaching up out of the grave. Bossman, how come that a hand over there? Whoever that was, they buried him alive. Come on, bossman. I don't feel none too comfortable around here. Now, wait a minute. Something scratched into this tombstone. I can't quite make out what it says. Yeah, that's better. What does it say, boss? I can't read. It says, Aaron Blaine. Aaron Blaine. Died? August 16th, 1861. August 16th, 1861. My great-grandfather buried alive. Lord of mercy, your grandpappy. I didn't die then. I was only unconscious from exhaustion. They thought I was dead. So they brought me here. Where are you? I brought you here to show you this. How did I get here? The opium removed the spirit from your body. I brought it here. Oh, take me back. You can never return. Yes, take me back. I have the gold now. I'll be rich. No. Yes. Take me back. Take me back, I say. Boss man, look at that ass knee. No. A wrong boss man. He done bitch you, idiot. Poison. Been poisoned by that snake. I can't. Help me. Help me. I can't get back. No, Alan. I warn you. 
Now, you'll never get back. Dead Hands Reaching, tonight's original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop, originating in the studios of WKY. The picturization story of Dead Hands Reaching appears in the May 16th issue of Movie Radio Guide. Then Morris was heard as Alan Blaine, Eleanor Naylor Curran played Judith West, Muir Height was Young Si Fu, Georgiana Cook played Mrs. Evans, and Daryl McAllister was Aaron Blaine, the voice from beyond. The weird circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past... Stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle. Phantoms of a world gone by speak again their immortal tale, The Thing in the Tunnel. Listen. That's the long moaning whistle of the through express, wailing through the lonesome night. Crying like a lost and anguished soul in the mountains. Listen to it. I've heard that mournful crying for ten years. And each time it reminds me of McGregor. Yeah? It reminds me of McGregor. My name's Kelsey. Howard Kelsey. I live out here solitary and alone because I like it. I hear nothing but the wind. And the passenger and freight trains roaring through the canyons and the arroyos of the Clearwater rain. And, of course, myself. I'm a lonely man, sure. I got too many memories. Ah, there she comes. She's through the tunnel now. The Statesman Express. Twelve-car Pullman roaring like a blast of thunder for home. Ah, McGregor. McGregor, are you flagging her through once more? I met McGregor by accident. In those days, I was new to this country, and I lived here with a fellow named Pike. 
an old-time prospector. He had a voice of sandpaper and a heart of stone. He didn't like me, and I didn't like him. But prospecting kept us together for a time. Nonetheless, we went out separately, and sometimes two or three days went by before we saw each other again. I first met McGregor on one of those trips. I'd come through some valley in the Clearwater Range, and just as day was beginning to fall, I found myself on top of a steep embankment overlooking a gleaming set of rails. The air was dead silent, the mountains around me purple and velvet soft in the setting sun. It was all so still and so silent that well, for a moment I felt the whole world had died. But just then, suddenly, I saw somebody move down by the tracks. I cried, Hello, below there! Hello! The man spun about and stared up the track in the opposite direction. I called again. Hello, below there. Hello. The man spun about again, and this time he saw me. How do I get down there? Over to your left. There's a path. All right, thanks. I'll be down in a minute. Well, the whistle called just as I began to descend. A rumble filled the air. And just as I reached the rail bed... I saw the tunnel, hewn out of mountain rock, and plunging from the tunnel's mouth like some black, terrible monster roared a train, tore by me in a deafening roar. And then when it was passed, directly opposite, on the other side of the track, stood the man I'd just called. And he was staring at me strangely. He was short and dark-skinned, and his eyes were sunk deep in his head. He wore a sheepskin coat and an old fedora, and he was holding a signal flag. Hello. My name's Kelsey. Hello. I was uh, just kind of wandering, and, well, I, I saw you, and I called, and... I work here. Oh. Well, kind of lonely, isn't it? It is. What do you do? Don't you know? What? Well, should I? Oh, uh, the flag. Signalman, huh? And telegrapher. I see. Say, uh, look, if I'm breaking any regulation by being here, I mean, uh, well, you look as if I... I was thinking that maybe I've seen you before. Where? Over there. By the tunnel now? Yes. But good Lord, man, I've never seen it before. I didn't even know you had a tunnel here. Well, don't you believe me? I think so. My name is McGregor. Well, glad to meet you, McGregor. My signal shack's just down the road. I've got some coffee inside. I'd... Well, I'd be glad to share some. Like you said, it's lonely here. Very lonely. See, coffee's ready. Well, can I help or get cups or something? No, no, I'll get them. Tell me, why did you shout what you did when you were on the embankment? What did I shout? Hello, below there. Hello. Those were the exact words. Well, I don't know why I shouted them, especially. Are you sure? You, you had no reason? I mean... 
Did you feel that somebody or something was making you shout just those words? No. What makes you think that something did? They might have. Who might have? Say, look, uh, are you all right, McGregor? I'm all right, fine. It's just... Just what? Look, listen to me. Don't don't think I'm crazy. You mustn't... Oh, why should I think it? It's just... Well, when you see something, it's there, isn't it? I mean, it's real when you can see it and hear it. It's not a dream or a nightmare when you can see it there night after night. It's, it's real, isn't it? Isn't it? What in the world are you talking about? Put that coffee down. Over here. You'll spill it. Hey, you'd better put it down and answer your key. Say, look. What's the matter with you? What are you staring at that telegraph key like that? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Leave me alone. Let me out. Let me out. McGregor. Well, I... I stood there in the little shack dumbfounded. And by the time I roused myself out of it, McGregor was coming back. He came into the shack and his face was haggard and his eyes strained wide and unseeing. He shut the door. It's gone. What's gone? What are you talking about, McGregor? Are you sick or something? It was there. I saw it. Why does it come back? Why? Why? Now, look, sit down, man. Calm yourself. You're not yourself. You'd better answer your telegram. I can't. There's no one to answer. It's him that's doing it. But who is him? Can't you understand it? It's a warning. An accident signal. And he's sending it. He's sending... Now listen to me. This can't go on. Stands there night after night in the tunnel's mouth and he shouts frantically, Hello below there. Hello. Look out. Clear the track. Clear the track. Been going on for a week now. Standing there and shouting in such an agony. It's the wind you've been hearing, man. It's not the wind. It's him. Him. He's outside now in the tunnel mouth. You've been dreaming things. Then look for yourself. Look for yourself. I will. Well, I... I walked up the tracks toward the tunnel. And then I saw it. I stopped dead. And I stared. And there, there standing in the tunnel's mouth, wrapped in an eerie radiance, stood a figure. I could see him clearly. One hand waving frantically and the other hiding his face. And I could hear his voice like something out of the tomb. Pleading. Hello, below there. Hello. Look out. Look out. Clear the track. Clear the track. And again that train whistle moaned amongst the hills. And all the time I watched him, he stood there waving, dressed in what seemed to be a short coat and a beaver hat. Look out. Clear the track. McGregor, bring a lantern, McGregor. Why? He gives his own light. Bring out a lantern. We're going up to him. He must be real. And McGregor brought out a lantern. And up the twin gleaming rails we moved. The lantern cast a wan pool of light about us. And as we walked, it shook madly, running long, sharp shadows at our feet. It was cold, so cold, my body shivered. My hands were as nervous as an old man's hands. And now the voice of the 
thing in the tunnel got louder and louder, and it was sepulchral, hollow-sounding, and torn with grief. Look out! Look out! Look out! Frederick, do you know him? Do you know him at all? No. He's not real. All week he stood there and called. Clear the track! Clear the track! He's waving his arm in such a frenzy. He's warning me. He's warning me. But of what? Hello, of what? Below there. Hello. When we are close to him, seize him. Yes. Yes. Seize him. I'll seize him. Stop I'll... it, McGregor. Do you hear me? Stop. Yes, I'll stop. I'll stop. Pull yourself together, man. We'll be near him in a few moments. I'll try. I... That whistle. Where's that whistle from? No trains do now. McGregor. What? Are you ready? Yes. Look out below there. Look out. Clear the tracks. Clear the tracks. Now. I've got... What? What? He's gone. It's gone, Kelsey. Down the tunnel, quick. Yes. Vanished under my hands like a puff. He disappeared. Come on, McGregor. In the tunnel. Come on. Look sharp, McGregor. He must be in here. He couldn't disappear like that. The dead can. The dead can. Stop it, McGregor. Look about. Do you see anything? You won't find him. You won't. He's not real. You won't find him. You won't. He's dead. He's a ghost, a specter, a vision of death. He's the dead trying to warn me. But of what? Tell me of what? Of what? Of what? And we did not find the thing in the tunnel. After a while, we went back to the signal shack. McGregor, I said. Yes. How long have you worked here? Some six months. Why? What brought you to this? I needed a job, and there was one here. The other signalman before me was killed. Killed? Yes, a train caught him. Captain Beaver, that was his name. What? Eh? What was his name? Captain Beaver. That's what they called him, and I can't... What's the matter? Didn't you notice, McGregor? Notice what? His hat. The thing's hat. What about... Kelsey? Yes, McGregor. It was a beaver hat. A beaver. He's there again. I'm going outside. Wait, wait, the lantern. I want to see. Hello, below there. Hello. Clear the track. Clear the track. Look, McGregor. Look, his hat. It is, Beaver. I never noticed. Look out. Look out. Then it's him. The other signalman come back from the dead. But why? Why? What's he trying to warn me of? Tell me, Kelsey. Tell me. What is the dead trying to say? McGregor's relief came. A young, sullen-looking boy named Carter. They both used a sleeping shack a few hundred yards away from their station, and it was to this shack that McGregor took me. Well, after a while, I fell asleep for, oh, I don't know how long, until... Kelsey! Kelsey! Wake up! It's time! Wake up! What? What is it? What's the matter? It's time for me to go on. Oh. Oh, I feel as if I only... Just fell asleep. You can stay here if you want to. No. No, I want to go along. 
Well, there's the nine o'clock express coming through. We'd better go then. We left soon after. And when we reached the embankment, evening was coming down. And with each step, I, I felt my heart thudding. The question loomed in my mind like a flame. Was the thing in the tunnel mouth? Was it there? The evening express screamed again through the hills, and its pitch suddenly seemed lifted to a tense agony. When we reached the tracks, my eyes were strained with staring. Well, we went up to the shack. Inside, we asked Carter if anything had happened while he was on. Nope, he said, as dull as ever. He shook himself into a heavy mackinaw and said so long and walked out. We heard his footsteps fading. We listened to them as if they were the last living sounds we'd ever hear. And then they were gone. And we stood in the shack, hearing only the whistle of the express coming down the hill. Maybe he won't come tonight. Maybe the thing's left us at last. Maybe. I dreamed about that all day. Maybe he's given up and I won't ever hear or see him again. Even though you think it's trying to warn you or something? Of what? Of what? What's there to be warned of for a whole week? Maybe it's all a lark, a joke. A dead man's joke. Take it easy, McGregor. Tell me, Kelsey, please tell me. Hmm? Am I going crazy? Maybe I'm seeing and hearing all this in my own brain. I, I can't tell anymore. I can't. I'm so tired. It would be pleasant to escape, to forget. If I am going crazy... McGregor, I... stop it. If you're mad, then so am I. I've seen the thing. Then what does it want? What does it want? There. There, it's him. It's him again. He's outside. He's come back. McGregor. I raced out after him. He was standing there between the glistening rails. And in the tunnel mouth, wrapped in its unearthly radiance, stood the thing, waving and calling. Clear the track. Clear the track. And then, then I became aware of the faint rumble of a train. The express. McGregor, get off the track. Get off the track. Clear the track. Clear the track. I seized McGregor and I pulled him off. And it was just in time. Like an incredible, fiery-eyed monster, the express engine roared out of the tunnel mouth. Multiple eyes, it plunged past. And then, unbelievably, it happened. I saw the rear cars as if they were toys, suddenly flung, hurtling off the tracks. A fearful grinding and crashing filled the air. And along the embankment, there was a turmoil of twisted steel and fire. A sheet of flame left up. Smoke poured in billowing clouds from the terrible wreckage. And it screamed, it screamed. The night was torn with the cries of the injured and the dying. McGregor, get me a telegraph. Call for help. McGregor! McGregor! So this is what it was warning me about. Will you get to your key? There are people dying. Look. Look in the tunnel mouth, Kelsey. Look. The thing. The thing's in the tunnel mouth. Kelsey, he's still calling it. He's still warning me. This wasn't it. There's something else. There must be something else. With the first sign of dawn, it disappeared, faded. And with the first sign of dawn, full emergency aid reached this lonely station. 
We worked all through the night and early morning. And it wasn't until mid-afternoon that McGregor and I parted company, he to his shack and I to mine. We promised to meet again soon. But it was some four days before I saw McGregor again. One morning, I heard some rapping on my door. Come in. McGregor. Hello, Kelsey. Come in. Shut the door. He's moved, Kelsey. Moved? The thing. He's moved. He's no longer in the tunnel now? No. It's left it. Good. Is it? Well, isn't it? The thing's not in the tunnel mouth anymore. It's gone. Isn't that... It's not gone, Kelsey. What do you mean? Two nights ago, it moved. I don't understand, McGregor. I don't understand it myself, Kelsey. But two nights ago, it wasn't in the tunnel mouth. It appeared further down the tracks. You mean... I mean it appeared closer to me. And it waved and called to me from its new position. Last night, it appeared even nearer in another position. But... But why? Can't you understand why? It's frantic, Kelsey. Frantic. It can't get me to understand what it wants to warn me of from the tunnel mouth, so it's coming closer. Maybe its time is running out, getting shorter, shorter. Well, maybe it was only an illusion. Is the thing itself an illusion? No. I tell you, it's trying to reach me to tell me something, Kelsey. You mustn't go back. That's just it. I mustn't stay away. I mustn't. You've got to stay away. Can't you see? Maybe what it wants to tell me will ease it. Maybe it's an anguished, damned soul, and I can free it. I don't know. Maybe it's about a different accident. Or... Or what? Maybe it's about myself. Maybe it's a message to me. To me alone. Maybe that signalman's come back from the grave just for me. I can't go away. I can't. I've got to wait until it reaches me. Until I understand. Until I know. And in the falling dusk, we came down the embankment. Hearing at the same time the first signalings of the Northwest Limited, the statesman winding through the clear water range. We relieved Carter, and after he had gone, we sat down in the shack. Somehow, this night felt uniquely strange. Later on, I knew why. Kelsey, I have a brother back east. Huh? If anything should happen, let him know. I'll write his address. Now, stop that nonsense, McGregor. It's not nonsense. I feel it tonight. There's something... You'll let him know, please. You will, won't you? This is foolish. All right, I, I will. But nothing's going to happen. That's the statesman. It's in the canyon now. I wish I were on it. Going past, never stopping. I wish... Kelsey. Yes? Why don't the dead lie still? Haven't they had enough of living... What insane desire drives them back again? If you don't leave off these ideas... The telegraph key's all right, isn't it? Why? See if the key's all right, Kelsey. Try it, tap it. Now, McGregor... No, 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 see. He has to be able to reach me. If the key's not working, how can he? Uh, tap it, tap it. Well, all right. There. It's fine. It works fine. And... And it's strange. Where is he? Where are you going? Outside. I've got to see. Now, will you please come? Something wrong, I know. I've got to reach. I've got to... McGregor! Uh, McGregor, the key! Captain Beaver, where are you? The dying, McGregor, where are you? He was calling me. Calling the thing. And all at once, I was seized with terror. I ran out. There in the moonless night, I saw McGregor walking up the tracks, moving slowly, calling. 
walking like a lonely, bewildered hunter in the immense starry night of the mountains. Where are you, Captain Beaver? I'm coming. Where are you? But something was wrong. Because the thing was not visible. Even McGregor was aware of it. He halted uncertainly for a moment, his head turning in all directions. And to find me, Captain Beaver. McGregor, looking for you. There's something wrong. Tell me. What should I do? Tell me. The train, McGregor! The train! And then suddenly, as if it were a trick of magic, the air led luridly beside McGregor, and the thing stood there. McGregor touched him. Captain Beaver. Captain Beaver, I'm here. What is it? Tell me. What are you trying to tell me? Look out. Clear the track. Clear the track. And again the whistle blasted the air. I saw McGregor staring, fixing face to face with the thing, as if he were listening. I saw the thing waving and shouting, but all at once I did not hear its words. And I knew. I knew that it was speaking to McGregor. Now, now I know what the thing was trying to warn McGregor of. And McGregor knew it, too. He found it out too late. The train and his own death. McGregor's face, contort with horror as he listened to the thing. And then suddenly he spun around, staring wild with fear at the tunnel. And plunging like a cyclopean-eyed monster, the train roared down. The whole picture in that moment burned into my brain. The thunderous locomotive, McGregor, transfixed with horror, and the eerie, gesticulating thing. And then the engine was upon it. They stopped the train a few hundred yards below the accident. But there was nothing much to find and less to recognize. I stood unmoving for a while. This was what the thing had tried to warn McGregor of. This. His own death. The kind of accident that had occurred to the thing itself once upon a time. I remember still the last time I saw it. It stood where the train had struck McGregor down... Wrapped in its own radiance, holding its bowed head in its hand as if weeping, grieving that its warning had so tragically failed. Ah, listen to it. Listen to it. Forlorn and sad. Go ahead. Blow, engineer. Blow. Lament for McGregor. Sorrow for McGregor. Even the dead. The ghost of Captain Beaver grieved. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the story, The Thing in the Tunnel. Bellkeeper, pull the bell. From the time-worn pages of the past, 
we have heard another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. Be here in this lonely cave by the restless sea once again next time for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Before you open it, we're not going to Blue Acres this weekend. We haven't had one weekend to ourselves since we were married. Oh, oh, Paul, it is Papa. I knew it. No, you don't understand. Here. Your father's seriously ill. Suggest you come at once. Dr. Lorry. Papa, Papa. Oh, now take it easy, Marlene. He's never been ill a day in his life. Your father's getting along in years, darling. You can't expect him not to have some bad days. But Dr. Lorry says seriously ill... And he's usually terribly conservative. We must start at once. Oh, please understand me. I love my husband, Paul, very much. But up until the time I married, I had never left my father's side. We'd been inseparable. Ever since that dreadful morning, when as a little girl of eight years, my papa had taken me on his lap. And after kissing me tenderly and brushing the curls back from my forehead, he had said, Little doll, your papa has something very sad to tell you. But you must be very brave, my darling. Your mother has left us. She has written this note to inform us. To Terence and Marlene. Life here at Blue Acres has grown intolerable for me. You're a little child, Marlene, and therefore I cannot explain some things to you. But Terence will know why I'm leaving. My little girl, try to think kindly of your mother. I would take you with me if I could, but that is impossible just now. Your father is a wealthy man, and he can give you fine things. I know at Blue Acres you will grow up to be a lady of whom I shall always be proud. And a daughter whom I will love forever. Do not cry, my little doll. Had your mother loved you, she would never have left you. From this day forward, there will be no mention of her name in this house. 
To us, she is dead. It was some years later that I learned that my beautiful mother had left Papa and me and had run away with Philip Cork, a chap the townspeople said was a worthless dauber in paint. Nothing was ever heard of my mother or him after they left the Wakers. Nor did my father, Terence Lane, ever mention her name. He devoted his life to me. I had private tutors that came to Blue Acres to instruct me. The very best. Papa imported a master of the piano to teach me. We remained aloof from the world. The only woman in the household beside myself was Mrs. Beaton. Father always did the cleaning of the house. For Blue Acres is filled with priceless treasures. And when I would laugh at him dusting, he would always remark, Can't let her clumsy fingers touch this vase. It's worth a thousand dollars if it's worth a penny. The years moved on, and I lived in a world of my father's creation. Until this last summer when I was 21 years old. One glorious summer night when the moon made golden patterns on the terraced lawns of Blue Acres. And the waters of the colored fountains entered in the ground shot a million rainbow lights into the night. When the French doors of the music room were opened wide to let the cool night air enter in. I sat at the piano playing the works of one of my favorite composers, Debussy. not fond of Debussy, and as soon as I began playing, he got up from his chair and went to his study. But the haunting melancholy of Debussy suited me. It was a background to my dreaming, and the somehow lonely feeling of my heart that was growing stronger as the years wore on, with only Papa for my companion. I went on playing. I was aware of the presence of another in the room. I felt it strongly even before I turned around. Oh, please go on. It's beautiful. Suited to a night like this. Please. I'm sorry, but I don't Oh, don't be sorry. I'm the one who owes you an apology for my intrusion. I'm Paul Wilde. I'm spending my vacation at the Truesdales who live down the road a ways. Oh, yes. They told me there was a princess living at Blue Acres... But I didn't do you justice, young lady. No princess was ever quite so fair or lovely as you. Please, Mr. Wilde. The Tuesdales also added that a dragon named Terence Lane guards the Princess Marlene with his life. That was very unjust. Really? Well, then, if you're not zealously guarded, how about taking a stroll with me? The night is wonderful. And if you're good, I'll reach up and pick you a necklace of stars to wear. I'm sorry, Mr. Wilde. You won't go? It's late. And Papa would object? No. Well, then, with your kind permission, I'll call tomorrow afternoon to gain his consent for a date tomorrow night. Do I have your permission? Well, yes. Fine. Then do something for me now, will you? If I can. Play something for me as I walk away. Shall we have something light and joyous this time? Something more in tune with the happiness in store for you and me. I'll be listening... For our theme song. Oh. 
Those deeply in love can understand what I mean when I say it was adoration on sight. I knew that from that second until eternity, there would be none other for me than Paul. And true to his word, he was at Blue Acres the next afternoon, asking Father's consent for an evening with him. I didn't hear their conversation, but I did hear from Papa later. My dear, I'm an old man, wise in the ways of the world. I've spent my entire life protecting you from the vulgar of this world, the worthless. And I protected your mother more carefully. There never would have been the scandal in this house caused by her treacherous act. I have already called into the city. This Paul Wilde is nothing but a simple clerk with poor wages. Is there never to be anyone for me? Of course, when the time comes. But... This is not the time. I had never disobeyed my father, but I did so that night. I sent Paul a note, and we met at midnight in the gardens of the lake. My Marlene. Say it again, Paul. It sounds so wonderful. I've never had anyone but Papa speak my name with love. My Marlene, I have a lifetime of love to give you. A heart bursting with love for you. Do you love me, my darling? Oh, yes, Pa. Say it. I love you. Oh, I love you. And now say this. I love you enough to leave Blue Acres and marry you, Pa. I love you enough to leave. Oh, Pa, I can't. I can't do that to Papa. Must you give up your life to him? No, but to leave him as Mother did. Then will you let me go out of your life? No. No. There were other surreptitious meetings. There were arguments, persuasions, protestations. But in the end, love won out. Paul and I ran away and were married. I will never forget the following day when Paul and I returned to Faith's father. What is done cannot be undone. Papa, you forgive me. Yes, I forgive you. Oh, Papa. Paul, isn't he wonderful? You are the love of my life. And if Paul realizes this, he will not keep you absent from me for any long periods of time. Of course not, Papa. Blue Acres will continue to be our home. But I hadn't reckoned with Paul when I made the statement. He would not quit work and live at Blue Acres off Papa's bounty, as he called it. So for the time being, we'd been spending weekends at Blue Acres. At this moment, I felt a little resentful that Paul had taken me away from Papa. We arrived at Blue Acres and Mrs. Eaton opened the door to us, just as John was breaking over Blue Acres. Oh, at last you've arrived. Come in. Papa, your father's a very sick man. What is it, Mrs. Eaton? I think, Miss Marlene, you should let Dr. Laurie explain. Oh, here. I'll take the luggage upstairs. I'll go to father. You'll find him in his study. Doctor had a bed set up in there where it's easier for me to care for him. 
Besides, he seems more content there. Hasn't Dr. Lloyd gotten a nurse for Papa? We tried it, but he wouldn't have one. We'd better knock on the door. Doctor's in there with him now. Come in. Papa. I ran across the room to my father's bed. I looked down at him, and then in dismay at Dr. Laurie. For my father's face was a horrible sight, twisted and pulled out of shape. And his eyes, his burning eyes, they were staring at me wildly. I reached out for his hand, cried out to him, Papa! What is it, Dr. Laurie? Stroke. Oh, Papa, don't worry. Dr. Laurie will get you well again. Can you hear my voice? I'm not quite sure this morning, but I think so. He does know who you are. Uh, come outside with me, Marlene. I want to talk to you. I'm going in the drawing room, Papa, to talk to Dr. Laurie. I'll be right back, and then I won't leave. I won't leave until you're well again. Come in the drawing room, Doctor. I should never have left him. Fiddlesticks. You did the right thing. But my marriage has brought this on. He loved me so, and I love him. He's been lost with me, gone. Marlene, I, uh... Dr. Laurie, his eyes... Yes, my dear. I was just about to talk to you of this. What is it? I wish I knew. Your father is suffering from some terrible fear that I'm inclined to think is nothing to do with his fear of dying. Has he said anything about it? He can't speak. Only the guttural sound you heard. He can't write. He can't lift his hands. Oh, how dreadful. What that fear is, I don't know. I've watched with him nights, and it appears that whatever causes his wild fear is worse then. Poor Papa. As soon as office hours are over this evening, I'll drive out here to Blue Acres. Perhaps between the two of us, we'll be able to discover what causes his distress and be able to help him. <laughs> my heart with sorrow to see my father suffering such pain and discomfort. And the look in his eyes, the mad, wild look, was almost more than I could bear. At last night came. I rejoiced when I heard Mrs. Eaton usher Dr. Laurie in. He and I sat by father's bed while the heavy minutes ticked past. change in his condition, but as night wore on and it was fast reaching midnight, there was a change in his eyes. The fear in them was so marked that I trembled from it. Dr. Laurie said... Do you see? His eyes. Yes. It's as if he sees something we don't see. Yes. It was so. His eyes seemed to be riveted on the door to his study, and it was then that I thought I heard a low moan. What was that? I don't know. It didn't come from Father. No, but look at him now. Now Father's eyes were trailed in closer to his bed. <laughs> he was struggling, attempting to lift his hands. <laughs> it was very plain to me, and I cried out. <laughs> Doctor, there's some unseen thing standing over Papa's bed. That is the way I diagnose it. There is. Something unseen to us, but clearly seen by your father. And look, the 
bedclothes are moving. But he's not touching them. What is it? Dr. Laurie, what is it? Please, dear, try to control your nerves. Shall I have Mrs. Eaton make you some tea? It'll help soothe you. I'll be right back, darling. Only take a second. Paul went into the kitchen. I sat trying to get a hold of myself. It was only a few minutes after he'd left the room. Once again, I was aware of the same sound I had heard in Father's room. The sound that had made his eyes turn mad with the terror of it. Was I, too, losing my mind? What was the answer to this strange phenomenon? A sound that to my ears was exactly like that of a woman moaning. At first it was close to me in the music room. And then it grew fainter, but still distinct. And though it's difficult to believe, there was a second when I felt as if something had brushed past my chair, had touched my shoulder. I cried out for Paul. Paul! Paul! What is it? I'm right here. Paul, listen. Do you hear a strange sound? What sort of a sound? A sound like a woman moaning. No. I heard it distinctly. You listen. Hey, you drink this tea and forget about such things. Please, Paul, quiet. Now, do you hear? By George. You do hear it? Some unusual sound. Where is it coming from? I don't know. There it is again. Yeah. So it seems to be coming from these walls of the music room. That's it. Or from out on the terrace. Oh, it's nearer than that. Here, in this wall behind the piano. Here. <laughs> Why are you feeling the walls? This panel here. Look. It's... Why, it's the panel that opens. I've lived here all my life and I never knew of it before. And in a room in here. And you can hear the moaning from here much closer. Marlene, get the candle from the piano. I'm going to look around in here. Yes. Here, Paul. 
Yeah, this passage in here must lead to another room in the house. I'm coming with you. And the moaning we heard was from someone in the adjoining room from here. Paulie, here, look. What is it? This enormous chest. Listen. Quick, there's someone inside this chest. I believe you're right. Hurry, they'll smother to death. Now it's locked. Locked? Someone's been pushed into this chest and it's been locked against them. Hurry, can't you break it open? I'm going to try. Now the lock is giving now. to our tragedy and our riddle. When confronted with the chest and the skeletons of human beings found in it, when asked questions by Dr. Lloyd that Papa could answer by a nod of his head, we found the solution to the mystery of Blue Acre. Yes, the skeletons were those of Philip Court and my mother. My father had killed them before they ever got away from the house the night mother intended to leave him. Dr. Lorry filled in many blank spaces in the life of my mother and father. Your father was an insanely jealous man, Marlene. He would allow her no friends. He even went to the city alone and bought her gowns for her. He would allow no one to look upon her. He hated me because I attended her at your birth. Oh. I was surprised when he allowed you to get away from him and marry Paul. But I've figured that out now. What do you mean, Doctor? I found a large quantity of arsenic in his desk. Great heaven. I'm sure it was his intention to do away with you, Paul. Then, once again, he could have Marlene to himself. Take me away, Paul. Paul and I left Blue Acres next morning. Terence Lane, my father, is still living. Mrs. Eaton cares for him. I haven't been out since that horrible night when the moaning of my mother's spirit led me to her grave. But we will go out this weekend if he's still living. Paul says I can never be happy unless I forgive him. Besides, the eyes of my father show madness in the evening after darkness gathers. And so we know he is tortured enough. Each night he must see the spirit of my mother standing over his bed, accusing him of his crime of double murder. Blackness, the awful blackness 
of terror. Turn on your light. Turn them on. <laughs> I'll be back. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> mentioned in the Hermit's Cave are fictitious, and similarity to persons, places, or occurrences is purely accidental. 